This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. We often hear that persistence and commitment are the most important qualities for success in business and in life. But sometimes we may persist for too long when there are clear signs we should quit. The deck is really stacked against us when it comes to quitting. We kind of know that if we walk away from things, people are going to judge us pretty harshly and that makes us stick to things that we really shouldn't be continuing with. Then, should a speed limit mandate be imposed on the trucking industry? A researcher says there are potential safety concerns in limiting truck speeds. Something like mandating speed limiters would, in fact, increase crashes simply because of this unsafe speed differentials between trucks and passenger vehicles. We'll have those two stories and more coming up on this week's show. InfoTrack begins right after this. weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. We've all heard the advice about being persistent and that winners never quit and quitters never win. But our next guest says that sometimes quitting can be a key to success. Annie Duke is the author of Quit, The Power of Knowing When to Walk Away. Annie, what is it in human behavior that causes people to stick with things uh, when they have little hope of succeeding? It turns out, interestingly, that the deck is really stacked against us when it comes to quitting. There's a whole host of cognitive biases that really make it so that we we tend to stick to things way too long. And then on top of that, there's just the issue of the way that we view quitting so negatively. If you think about it, like, Chris, if I call you a quitter, am I complimenting you? No, I don't think so. (laughs) No, I'm calling you a loser. So when we think about like the way that we view those who stick to it, they're the heroes of our stories, the ones who persevere, who have metal and pluck, they have what it takes. And those are the people that we admire. We do not admire the quitters. And I think that that in and of itself creates a really big bias against quitting because we kind of know that if we walk away from things, people are going to judge us pretty harshly. And that makes us stick to things that we really shouldn't be continuing with. Are there any statistics or research into how many quit successfully or keep going? Yeah. As far as businesses are concerned or the stories that we hear, it's hard to collect those statistics for the reason that there's something called survivorship bias. So we track the people who do succeed, you know, the startup founders who are down to their last dollar, but somehow manage to turn it around. The people who persevere at long odds and continue on to be successful. And we know about them. What we don't know about is all the people who tried and failed. So it's just really hard for us to kind of track that stuff. What we do have, though, is a lot of science where we can show that in very clear circumstances where it's objectively correct for people to quit, they stick around too long. And so from that, we kind of know from the science that people are sticking with things too long. So one of the most fun examples of this comes from Stephen Levitt. He wrote Freakonomics. It was a huge bestseller. Super smart economist. He did something super fun. He put up a website and he invited people to come to the website if they were really struggling with a decision about whether to stick or quit something. So Chris, let's say that you were like really torn about whether you should quit your job or stay with it or whether you should leave a relationship or stay in it. So he invited people to come to the website, and then you would put in what your decision was that you were struggling with, and then the website would flip a virtual coin for you. And it would be like, heads you stick, tails you quit. 
Now, you might be thinking like, well, who on earth would do that? <laughs> like, why would someone go to a website to flip a coin to decide whether to stay in a relationship? But it turns out 20,000 people did this. And I just want to make sure that we're on the same page with this intuition. If someone's willing to flip a coin, which is 50-50, that means that they think the decision about whether to stay or go is so close that it itself is 50-50. Like it's a total close call. What's implied by that is if it's such a close call, given that I think our goal is to be happier in life, that what they're saying really is, I'm really not sure. I think it's kind of like 50-50 whether I'm going to be happy or staying or whether I'm going to be happier quitting. So that was what Stephen Levitt was trying to look at. So you'd, Chris, you'd come to the website, you'd log the decision that you were thinking about, and then you'd rate your happiness. And then the coin would flip. It would tell you what to do. Should you stick or quit? And then you'd go do that thing. And then he pinged you. And two months later, you would rate your happiness. And six months later, you would rate your happiness. Oh, interesting. So what were the results? The quitters were happier. (laughs) So remember, if it's really as close a call as they think, then you would be equally happy if you stuck or you quit. But the quitters on average were happier. So what that tells us is that by the time we experience the decision as a close call, it's actually not close at all. Quitting is way the winner at the point that we experience it as a close call, which just tells you like we get to these decisions way too late. Our guest is Annie Duke, author of Quit, The Power of Knowing When to Walk Away. Annie, people invest time and money and heartache and all sorts of things into whatever it is, a relationship or a job or any kind of project they're working on. Is there any one factor that's stronger than another in making people not quit? This investment that we make, whether it's time, money, effort, heartache, as you said, those are costs that we incur. They're things that we sink into an endeavor. And there's something called the sunk cost fallacy. When people are trying to decide whether to continue with something, they take into account what they've already spent. Let me try to give you a simple example. Let's say that there was a Shakespeare in the park where you live. And on the day the performance is going to happen, it's freezing cold and raining. Like, it's miserable. Would you buy a ticket that day to go see it? I probably would take a pass in that situation. Right, because you don't have the ticket yet. You're trying to decide whether to buy the ticket fresh. So now here's my question for you. And I think most people feel that way. Like, well, I wouldn't buy a ticket today because it's rainy. I don't want to go. But what if you bought a ticket for $100 three weeks ago? Yeah, (laughs) I still might not go, but I could see somebody else dragging me there to say, well, we bought a ticket. We've got to go. Right. And now, wait, I can make it worse because I can make the cost bigger. What if you spent $500 on the ticket? (laughs) Yeah, I'd probably go at that point, I think. So this exposes the error, which is if you wouldn't buy a ticket today, what you're saying is that I don't want to spend that time in the freezing cold rain. The play might be great. The band might be great, but I don't want to stand in the freezing cold And you're determining that about your time. Now, the fact that you already bought the ticket actually should matter very little from a rational standpoint about whether you go or not, because that's money that you already spent. It doesn't matter. It's already gone. What matters is, are you going to go and spend time being miserable? But we use what we already spent as a justification to continue, partly because, and I'm sure you feel this, Chris, you don't want to have wasted the money. But the problem is waste isn't a backward looking problem. It's a forward looking problem. The money's already spent. What matters is, am I going to waste my time being miserable standing in the freezing cold in a concert? And I already said that I didn't want to do that, so you shouldn't continue. So we can think about like a super high stakes version of this. So General Tony Thomas, who served in Afghanistan, 
He told me that it was like really hard for him when he would go to funerals and talk to Gold Star parents because the Gold Star parents would say to them, like, go win this war because I don't want my child to have died in vain. And that's obviously incredibly heart-wrenching. It's so hard not to sort of be right there with them. But the problem is that what we want to think about is we're so heartbroken and so grateful for the service, obviously, of someone who has died in the war. But that's not justification for putting more lives at risk. The question is, do we have enough of a chance to accomplish our objectives in this war that it's worth it for us to put the next life at risk? And that's where we have to start thinking forward in order to sort of think about these decisions more rationally. Annie, I'm curious, in writing this book, was there something in your life that caused you to be focused on this topic? Well, first of all, I quit a few things in my life. When I was in graduate school at the end of five years, which is a lot of time and a lot of effort, I got sick and I needed to take time off. So I had to take a year off. It was actually during that time that I discovered poker and started playing poker professionally and you know had a lot of success in the game. And I actually didn't end up going back at that time to academics, although I'm back at the University of Pennsylvania now, but that's many decades later. And I always felt a lot of shame around quitting and not finishing my PhD. Separately from that, poker is a game where really the main thing that distinguishes you know, a great player from an amateur is quitting. Great players fold a lot more. So if you think about it, folding is quitting, right? I'm quitting this hand. And it's probably the biggest skill element of the game. And when you look at amateurs, they fold less than 50% of the two card combinations they're dealt in the game of Hold'em. And if you look at professionals, they fold somewhere between 75 and 85% of those two-card starting combinations in a nine-handed game when there's nine people at the table. So you see this really big difference between a willingness to let go of hands even when you already have money invested in them. So you'll hear amateurs say, well, I can't fold now because I have too much money in the pot already. So that's a really good example of sunk cost. And of course, what really matters is I don't care how much money you have in the pot. Is the hand worth playing now? Like, should you bet any more money on this dog, dog of a hand? And professionals are just way better at quitting. And so I think partly because of the shame that I felt around quitting academics to become a poker player, and then just partly because of the importance of quitting within poker, I think it just created a unique experience for me that got me really excited about the topic. The book is Quit, The Power of Knowing When to Walk Away, and Annie Duke is the author. Annie, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Chris. Next, should trucks have built-in speed limits? That story, straight ahead. There's more InfoTrack coming up. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.